Galatians 4, verses 10 through 16. If you're looking in your pew Bible, that will be on page 1036. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become more like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us this morning. If you are visiting your honored guest, and we are thankful that you're here. We hope that you'll be able to come back time and time again. We are so thrilled to have the Druin family. We welcome you, look forward to worshiping and, and serving with you. And we're also thankful that this past week uh, there have been two men baptized into Christ Wednesday night, Kenny Wiley, and he is sitting here on the third seat. And uh, Kenny, we're glad that and thankful for your decision, commitment to Christ. And also, Jeremy Spires, which is the son of uh, uh, Don Spires and uh, Norma, and he was baptized Friday into Christ, and uh, we are so thankful for his decision. Have you ever been afraid of someone? Maybe you think back to the days when you were in school, and maybe it was a bully on the school bus, or maybe it was a bully on the playground. Or maybe you've been in a situation where at a certain time, because of the setting, and maybe it was dark or whatever it might be, and you can remember a time where you were really afraid of someone. This past week, Tracy and I were walking down the, the down, a couple of blocks downtown Nashville uh, late at night, and there were folks sleeping on some benches there and some guys sitting around, and, and just the way everything was, we were kind of the center of attraction as we walked those couple of blocks. And she said to me, Let's not park in this garage again. This scares me. All of you at times, we've all been at a time where we say, you know, I'm, I'm scared of that person or I'm scared of these surroundings. It's interesting as we look in the life of Paul, we see Paul as a mighty and courageous individual. Usually we probably don't picture him being someone that was afraid, but he was human. But what's interesting in this text is not so much that he was afraid of them, but if you'll notice in our text, let's go back again and let's look at Galatians, the fourth chapter. Look there at verse 10 and 11 again, but notice especially 11 at first. Notice what he said. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. He says, I'm afraid for you. Now that's a big difference. I'm afraid of you or I'm afraid for you. Maybe you've had a child or a spouse or a parent or a good friend that... 
Maybe they're in a play or a recital or they're up to bat or to make a run or a play at, at a time that's so crucial and you're the one on the sidelines or you're the one out in the audience and you're just watching. But yet you start becoming nervous and you start being afraid for them. I remember the time, and I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, but our neighbor, when Tracy and I first got married, we rented these people's little bitty house that they lived in a long time ago. And they built a nice brick home beside it, and we rented this little shack, $75 a month. And so we were living in this little house, and this couple now was 85 years old. And he came out one day to his big, humongous car, and he was loading up the trunk. And I walked over to visit with him, and he said, you want to go with me? I said, well, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm riding out to the farm. I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to blow up uh, beaver dams. And I said, what's in the box? He said, dynamite. And I thought, that'd be pretty fun. I'd never been around dynamite. I always wanted to be around dynamite. And this fellow had been in construction all of his life. And I said, hey, I would like to do that. And so I jumped in his big land yacht there, and, and we rode to the next county over, and then we got off of the paved road, and we rode a dirt road for a long way, and then we left the dirt road, and we entered a lane that he said, now this is my farm here, and it was hundreds of acres. And we rode down to the bottom land. Then he said, now we'll have a ways to walk. And we walked through some of the most beautiful stand of timber I've ever seen, and we walked and walked and walked and walked. And finally, we got to the place. He'd take a big pole, he'd slide his dynamite down in there, and he'd take his lead pencil out, and he would put a fuse inside that last piece of dynamite, and he would pick us a place. He'd say, now, you go hide right here. And, and you know, you can picture an 85-year-old man doing this, and we'd light it, and we'd take off running back, and it would blow logs higher than, the, than this roof. I'm not kidding. Huge logs would just... And you'd go back and look, and there'd be a huge hole in the ground. And it was amazing. And, and so we did this several times, and we got to this one time, and he lit it, we took off running, and we got back behind there, and we'd hold our ears, you know, we was waiting, we was waiting. There's nothing. And then he scared me to death. He said, I'm going to go up there and check it out. I thought, oh, please don't do this. I can imagine trying to carry this guy out as far back in the woods as we were and try to remember the way back all the way. And honestly, even though I was only 22 years old, I was so afraid for him. I just knew that he was going to walk up and look down in that little hole and the thing blow up. Thank God it didn't. Every time I think about being afraid for someone, I think about that moment because I just knew that could be such a terrible setting. You know, there's something much more serious than just a possible... You see, Paul was dealing with people's souls. Now, what concerns you the most? Somebody's physical life or someone's soul? Here, when Paul says, I am afraid for you, friends, because of his love for God and his belief that a soul would live for an eternity or at least exist for eternity, he says, when I see you leaving Christ, I'm afraid for you. What is it that was so fearful about this situation? Let's drop back now. Let's read verse 8 and 9 that would lead to this verse, verses 10 and 11. And let's see what it is that, that he's afraid of. And as we read this, I want you to note here 
that Paul is really going to give a, a kind of timeline here. He's going to give three specific points of time and show why he's afraid for them at this particular time. Verse 8, But then indeed, when... See, here's a point in time. When you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. Now here's another point in time. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn, and here's another point in time, again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? And then he describes what it might be that is bringing them in bondage when he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And the result of all of this is, now I'm afraid for you. Have I labored in vain? You see, now we've made a complete circle. What's he talking about is labor. Now he's going back to the beginning of that timeline again, and he's saying, you remember when I came to you and you didn't know God? I labored with you and I taught you about God, but now you're leaving God and you're going back into the very same things, the elements of the world? Let's think about these three things this morning because in learning about those of Galatia, we might learn a little bit about ourselves also. How is it that you try to talk with someone who does not know God? I had a phone call this past week from an individual that said, you know, I've talked with a lot of people about the Bible and I've talked with a lot of people about the church, but I've never talked with someone before that doesn't know God. Where do I begin and what do I say when someone doesn't have any idea of who God is? Let's look to Acts the 17th chapter. In Acts the 17th chapter, and, and as you're turning there, I want to remind you that the text we're leaving, notice it said, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. In other words, the Gentiles that he's writing to in Galatia were those that were idolatrous worshipers when Paul first met them. And so he's reminding them, you remember when I came to you and all you knew were idols? But I helped you get to know God. Let's look here in Acts 17. This is a setting here in Acts 17 where Paul is going into Athens. And by the way, this is not the people of Galatia that he's writing to, but I want you to see a very similar setting. He's going into Athens, and Athens was a town of many idols. As a matter of fact, it's a tourist attraction because the temples that they would build and the beautiful uh, carvings that they would create to call their gods would draw tourists. And so he's walking through what we today would think of as, as a tourist town. And he's looking at these gods that they worship, and they have one god that they've created that they call the unknown god because they were afraid they would omit a god, and in omitting a god, they would make him angry, and he would strike out against them. So they created a, a setting, a temple, a, a statue, and etc. for that god, and they inscribed under it to the unknown god. Let's pick up there in 23 as Paul now begins to talk with them in Athens. We're in 23. He said to them already in 22 that he realizes they are very religious. And in 23 he says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Now, Paul's right there. Where would you begin? These people don't know God. All they know is idols. Where will you begin? He's going to tell them about the Almighty God. He begins with creation. Verse 24. God, who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. The, 
Paul wants them to see that the God that he is speaking of, the God that he serves, is a God that is not housed within a building. Now, we, we would understand that completely today, or would we? How many times have we heard people say, you shouldn't talk like that inside the church building? Well, I can't believe you would say something like that right here before worship starts. Oh, so let me get this right. The only place God dwells is within these four walls. And so you can go on Friday night and do anything you want because God doesn't dwell where you're doing whatever you want. Or you can go to the workplace and you can talk however you want to talk because God doesn't dwell wherever you work. No. You see, even though we sometimes carry over a thought of idolatry, our God is not an idol. Our God has created us, and we do not form Him, and we do not place Him within a building. He made us, and He is everywhere. He's powerful, all-powerful. And so now let's read on. Verse 25, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one the blood of every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And that's referring to governments. Now look at 27. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Paul, how much hope is it for a group of people that all they know is idolatry? To me, that seems like that's so far away from God. Could they ever find the Almighty God? And he says, sure. He's not far from any of us. This morning, if you're here, and you want to find God, but you're looking across an audience of religious people and you're saying, these people are so close to God. And I'm so far away from God. I don't think it'd ever be possible for someone like me to find God. I don't think it'd ever be possible for someone who's done the things that I've done to find God. I don't think it'd be possible for someone who is as, uh, as ignorant of Scripture as I am to find God. Friends, I want to tell you something. God's Word says He's not far from any one of us. Every one of us are within reach of God. All we have to do is to seek Him. One translation would say, feel Him. In other words, the idea is to reach out and find God. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you, James tells us. And so it is. Going back to the text in Galatians, Paul is reminding them of a time where all they knew were idols. And he's saying, you remember when I taught you and you came to know God? And then he takes that thought as we go back to Galatians, the fourth chapter. Look what he does at the rest of that in verse 9. He says, but now after you have known God or, and now he's taking it, a step further, he's taking it to much greater impact and responsibility. You see, not only have they known God at the beginning of nine, but notice this phrase, or rather are known by God. How is it you turn again? You probably know who the President of the United States is. 
but does the President of the United States know you? There's a big difference in those two phrases, right? You see, Paul is making a tremendous point. He says, yes, I remember the time where you didn't know God. All you knew were idols, and we came through, and we taught you the truth, and you came to know God. But I want to remind you, not only did you come to know God, because note this how Paul could have said it. Paul could have said, I want to remind you a time where you only worshipped idols. But then you came to know God. Now, I'm asking you something. Why are you leaving a God and going back to other elements of the world, which is Judaism at this point, and picking that up? He could have left it at that. But you see, Paul here is making a persuasive argument. He's been dealing with them from Scripture. He's been dealing with them from logic. And now what he's going to do, he's going to deal with them solely from persuasion. And so what he's going to do is he's going to put the persuasion right here in this middle as he says, look, you didn't know God. But then we taught you God. Not only then did you know God, but now you are known by God. You see the difference? Now if you leave, you're not just leaving something you were taught. You're leaving God. Friends, that gives me cold chills to think about it. When you and I come into a relationship with God, we then honor that relationship with God day in and day out. Or if we don't, we don't just leave a book. We leave God behind. And so his plea is, you knew God. But not only that, you had been saved. You had been brought into a relationship with God. You were known by God. It's a tremendous difference in knowing someone and someone knowing us, and especially when that being is the Almighty God in heaven. Look with me, if you will, to Colossians, the second chapter. I want us to see a point in time where God interacts in our life, divine intervention, where God moves in our life and changes eternity for you and I. In Colossians, the second chapter, look with me, if you will, in verse 11 and 12. And, and by the way, back up in verse 8, which is not on the screen there, but I, I want you to notice if you have your Bible open. In Colossians 2 and verse 8, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men and according to the basic principles of the world. In other words, he says, there's going to be some people that try to pull you away from Christ and they're going to do it by the rudiments of the world or the beggarly elements of the world. You see, that's what Galatians 4 calls it, the beggarly elements of the world. Here in Colossians 2, he's speaking about some of the very same things. They've gone back to the traditions. And he says, I want to remind you what you did to come into a right relationship with God all the way through, Paul is urging us as he's urging them, come to know God. How does God interact in our life? Well, we see at one time, is in verse 11 and 12, talking about in Christ. In Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. This is the only time in the Scriptures that baptism is likened to circumcision. 
And probably, no doubt, the reason that Paul did this is he wanted them to see those that were so much promoting that of circumcision. They were bringing in the traditions, the the elements of the world, and they were trying to mix that with Christianity. Keep in mind, the theme of Galatians is Christianity and Judaism does not mix. The truth is, the application of Galatians is Christianity and nothing mixes. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to show them, look, you guys have been so wrapped up in trying to bring circumcision in this. Let me show you a circumcision of the new covenant. And it's the circumcision of Christ. And notice there again in verse 11, he said, it's made without hands. An eight-day-old Hebrew son would be brought and he would be circumcised with hands, would perform that circumcision. And now... Paul writes and says, I want to tell you about a circumcision that's going to take part in every New Testament Christian. And it will not be by men's hands. In other words, God is going to intervene. God is going to do something. Someone says, how does God work in my life today? One of the ways God works in our lives today is when He forgives us of sins. And this is the point in time that God forgives us of sins. Notice again, as he says, being buried with him in baptism. But notice how we're raised. Raised with him through faith in what? In the working of God. God is at work. God is at work forgiving us of our sins. The great physician, when one is immersed into water, The great physician performs surgery just as physical circumcision was the cutting away of the foreskin of the flesh. Spiritual circumcision, which the Scripture teaches here, is baptism, is the cutting away of the guilt of the flesh of sin. And it is not done with men's hands. It is done by the working of God. And so while we see someone being immersed into water... God is literally at work. When someone says, baptism is just a symbolic act. When nothing really happens in baptism, it's just an act of obedience. Friends, that is ignorance at its height. Baptism is a place where the Almighty God does a work that no man can do for himself. That is the point in time that God's grace is shed upon an individual and God cuts away the guilt of their sin. Paul is writing here in Galatians, the fourth chapter, and he is saying to them, I remember the time that you didn't know God, but now, or then, we taught you about God. And you see, they responded because not only did they come to know about God, but they came to be known by God. And what happened? Do you see there as we read the rest of verse 9? He says that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. How serious is it to mix Christ with anything? By application, this can be a strong point for you and I to apply to our lives today. Keep in mind, what they were mixing with Christianity was what was found in the Bible. It's just it was in the Old Covenant. 
But they were mixing in Christianity what was found in the Bible, but in the covenant that they did not live under. And did you note what he compared that to? Did you notice that he says, you've turned again to weak and beggarly elements? Wait a minute. Galatians? I've read this book and I don't see a time that you turned back to circumcision and then you came back to Christ and then you went back to circumcision. When did you do that again? That's not the point. It's not that they did that twice. He's saying one time you served idols that were weak and beggarly elements. This time you've brought in some of the Old Testament and you're doing the same thing again. Paul could not make a stronger case for how important it is to not mix Christ with anything. He likens mixing the Old Testament circumcision to New Testament Christianity as the same thing of mixing idolatry in the life of an individual. So I said, surely God doesn't mind if we go back and we pick up some of the, some of the Old Testament feast days. Surely he doesn't mind if we pick up some of the old religious holidays. Surely he wouldn't mind if we picked up the Sabbath days. And Paul writes here and says, you're doing the same thing that you did when you worshipped idols. Friends, we don't read in the New Testament about a a religious holiday no such thing. We don't read in the New Testament about a way to come to Christ for one nationality of people that would be different for another nationality of people. We all come to Christ by submitting to Christ. And we cannot ask something different than what God asks or were guilty of the same things that they were doing under Judaism of asking first to have circumcision, then to have salvation. And if we did, according to Paul, we would be in the same arena of idolatry. That's a bold statement. But that's what Paul is doing here by using the word again. Notice as he says in 10, you observe the days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid of you. There are other times in the scriptures that we see individuals that did not know God. In other words, they did have an intellect of God, but their life proved they didn't know God. I want to close this morning by looking at just a few of those quickly. Let's look to the next slide and notice 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, and verse 5. When we look at 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, in verse 3, we read about how sexual immorality should be abstained from. And he says in verse 4 that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You see, our body is not ours. Our body is a vessel that's to be used in God's service. And so he says, I want you 
to not be involved in sexual immorality. I want you to keep that body separate from that. I want it to be holy, honorable. But now notice what he says in verse 5. Not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. See, there it is. Remember our timeline? He says, I knew a time where you didn't know God. Well, what is it that people do that do not know God? People are moved by lust when they do not know God. And now he's writing to those of Thessalonica, and he says, wait a minute. Let's make sure now. Do you still know God? If you know God, don't act like the people that do not know God. Let's look to the next book. Look to 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter. In 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter, he's dealing with those that have been under a great persecution. And he tells them in the sixth verse that God is going to seek vengeance for their persecution. And then he says in 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the connection there? Do not know God and do not obey the gospel. God has never looked for just an intellect. He's looked for learning about God and obeying the gospel. That was the plea throughout Galatians. You remember that's the way the book began. And the second paragraph of the first chapter was they had left the gospel and, and they were not obeying the gospel. Also, we see in Titus, the first chapter, he dealt with false teachers. And let's read in the 16th verse. He says, They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, that's detestable. In other words, that's how God looks upon it. And being disobedient, that's what their activity was. And disqualified, that was the result of all this. In other words, God detested, you've been disobedient, and now you're disqualified for every good work. And then finally in 1 John, the fourth chapter, he would say that if you do not love, that you do not know God. And the love in this whole paragraph working through 1 John is talking about not only love for God, but it's also love for fellow man. So in other words, someone says, well, I just, I hate my brother. He says, okay, then you do not know God. Friends, here's the summary. They were leaving God. He put them in the same category, even though it was for Old Testament teachings. He put them in the same category of back when they were idolatrous worshipers. Because here's the point. It's not what you're going to. It's what you've left. That is the devastation when you leave God. It's not what you're going to. It's what you've left. That is the devastation when you leave God. I've seen people abandon their faithfulness to God because of their family. Family's good. But if we're leaving God for family, we've made a terrible mistake. We've seen individuals leave God over careers. A career can be great, but not if that's why we've left God. We've seen people leave God over false teachings or over immoral practices. Friends, it doesn't matter what it is. It's a terrible decision if we're leaving God. Paul stands back and he looks at people that he loves. People that at one time loved him would have given their own eyes for him. And he says, I'm afraid for you. 
this morning, I want you to imagine the person that's the most godly that you know that knows you the best. Would they be afraid for you this morning? Would they look at you and say, I am so afraid that they're leaving God. I'm so afraid that there's a growing distance between them and God. Paul knew these people and Paul knew God and he was afraid for them. Let's make sure that in our life that God is not afraid for us. That God knows that we're close to Him. If you've never been baptized into Christ so that the great physician can perform that surgery of removing the guilt of sins, if you're a believer that's willing to repent and willing to confess before men, won't you have that that surgery without hands performed today? If you have been baptized into Christ, but somewhere along the way, something has separated you from your God. Importance is not what it is. Importance is that we'll return back to God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.